Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. All these post-fasting week smiles, I, I am seeing a lot of smiles. I'm sure that the testimony time was full of anticipation for, uh, for what's going to be breaking out this year. I had a fantastic fasting week, really enjoyed the Jesus time and just seeking God for our church and, and for you and for answered prayer. I want your prayers to be answered. I want the things that you've been praying about and seeking God for to be quickly answered. And so I'm not just going to say, hey, let's do a fasting week. I'm going to bless you week after week after week, all right? Here we go. Let me bless you. I bless you now in the name of Jesus, that you would know Jesus more wonderfully today. I bless you to receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to receive whatever guidance from God you need, whatever help from God you need today. I bless you to have the resilience and perseverance to be able to overcome every challenge that you're facing in your life right now. And I bless you to feel hope and joy and love and peace Whatever's going on, I bless you with that in the name of Jesus. May it be. Amen. All right, friends, we are about to dive into a new study in the book of Ruth, which may be the greatest and most hope-filled short story in all the Bible. It is one of those totally true stories, and it's, an, it's a biography, basically, about a woman named Naomi. And, and her journey from, from, go, from being one of those most brutal, brutal places in life, one of the most um, awful life situations, a journey towards joy, a, a journey towards hope, a journey towards happiness. This study is going to be a study on faith. It's a book about hope, and it's a book about love. So that's where we're going to be focusing. It's a happy story. But it starts with a very bad decision which has horrific consequences. Let me just start reading for us in the, in the first words in the book of Ruth. And let's, let's see where this, this great story begins. Ruth chapter 1. Thank you for whoever opened my Bible uh, to Ruth chapter 1. That, that made it so much, so easy. Uh, during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Okay, so the context right off that we want to make sure we're, we're grappling with is the first words in this were during the time of the judges. During the time of the judges. Actually, based at the, on the genealogy at the very end of the book, we are in the first generation of the judges. We are in the first generation after Joshua. 
Uh, just, just to recall, uh, we, we did a big study on Moses. Moses' generation, they were called to go into the promised land and live there, but they were afraid and they said no. So they did not move into the land, and as a result, the Moses generation had to wander in the wilderness until that whole generation died, and then the Joshua generation was ready. Joshua and his generation, they courageously chose to worship God and follow God. They had some stumbles and bumbles, but but big picture, they, they moved into the land, and they chose to live and dwell where God wanted them to, in the land that he had promised their ancestors. That's the Joshua generation. Well, uh, Joshua generation, it's a big deal. Committed to worship God. In fact, this is, this is what that generation, the Joshua generation, um, uh, committed themselves to. It, this is in Joshua 24. It says, the people replied, this is, this is their heartbeat. We will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. For the Lord our God brought us and our ancestors out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected us all along the way we went and among all the peoples whose lands we traveled through. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because he is our God. That's that's the Joshua generation. And, and basically, they seem to have kept their word pretty well. And the final description of their generation, three verses from the end of the book of Joshua, says this. Israel worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime and during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua and who had experienced all the works the Lord had done for Israel. It's a great generation. The Joshua generation, they did it. By faith, they moved into the land and they lived where God had called us to. After the Joshua generation comes the judges' generations. And the judges' generations, all through the book of Judges, are categorized by a phrase something like, everyone did whatever they saw fit. Or however they, however they viewed things. They did what was right in their own eyes, depending on your translation. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They stopped looking to God. They stopped uh, really worshiping God. They stopped following God first and foremost. And they just started making the decisions about their lives just based on what they saw and what seemed right to them in the moment. Elimelech is the first of the judges' generation. Okay, so he, he's the son of a guy who was from the Joshua generation. And, and the Joshua generation, his dad from the Joshua generation, named his son Elimelech, which means God, L, L, God is my, Elim, eh, the I there, Elimelech, God is my Melech, king. God is my king, son. I am going to speak a name over your life. God is my king. That is to be your mantra. The next generation, that God is your king. What does that mean? That means you look to your God and you follow your God. You you find out what what your king wants and you do that. You, you, You follow your king. God is your king. So that that's what his father named him. Uh, He's married to a woman named Naomi, which means something like pleasant. If you want to be uh, be a little bit more casual about it, you might call her sweetie. You know, sweetie, hey sweetie, hey. 
Haribo or something? Jelly snakes? No. Oh, Naomi. We haven't, no. Okay, that's really left the Hebrew. Let's go back to pleasant. Otherwise, things will get unpleasant around here if you start calling Naomi jelly snakes. Okay, pleasant. <clears throat> wow, sorry. Anyways, so these two are named by the Joshua generation, uh, but they don't live up to their names, obviously. And so Elimelech, God is my king, he doesn't care what his king wants, what God wants. None of, no one in his generation seemed to really care what, what God wants. And so without seeking God, he looks at his situation with his own eyes, and he decides to move his family to another country, to Moab. Even though God was stunning miracles, had made it very clear, I want you to live here. He doesn't care. He looks at his situation, and he just wants to move to Moab. Now, here's a map. Uh, well, kind of. It's Google Earth. Uh, do we call these maps, right? If they're Google Earth and I draw on them, that makes it a map. So um, you got these maps here, and you can see Bethlehem and Moab, they're actually not that far apart. You can see the Sea of Galilee. It looks like a lake up, up at the top up there uh, on, on one of them. That's, that's where Jesus mostly did his stuff, and that's further away than Moab from Jer uh, Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Jerusalem's pretty much right there at Bethlehem. So, like, yeah, it's not that far. It's not that far away. So they, um, they leave Bethlehem for, for the fields of Moab. And, but before we get to the fields, I, I want you to see some pictures, some old pictures of Bethlehem, just so we get an idea of what's going on here. So in this first <coughs> picture, taken in the 1930s, old Bethlehem is kind of the, the darker bit. The darker bit kind of on the edge of that, the hill. There's a little, there's a little um, steeple there in, in the middle. And that's the Church of the Nativity. It's kind of from that steeple, the darker bit, on, just on the edge. That's, oh, little town of Bethlehem. That's, 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 the, that's the bit, like, just there on, on the edge there. Um, another picture here. This is much older, from the 1870s. 1870s, you can get a lot of a vibe of the area before it gets really built up here. But what I want you to see in this one is, is all the gans, the, the gardens, the, the terraces. This is, this is how it would have been from all ancient times. You have a little retaining wall, they fill it with dirt and make it flat, and then they plant in, say, trees and, and, and food. <laughs> Whatever you do, uh, you plant in uh, your, your food there, and then you build another retaining wall, and they just step it up the hill, and you got all these flat gons or gardens, and different families would, would, be, would have different ones of these. And that's how most of the food was produced in the hill country, in these gons or uh, gardens, terraces. The next picture from the 1960s here, you can see the terraces still, you can see that. See that. But also at the bottom right, you can see the, the legendary fields of Bethlehem. These, these fields. That, now, they're not big, right? They're just, they're just uh, little fields. And they're, they're going to come up in our story. Boaz, he's kind of a big deal in this book. He, he, he has fields. He's, he's a big deal, in, in, not only in the story, in that time. And, and so, you know. But I want you to see that they're small. And actually, the, the fields are pretty unique and rare in this area. They're, they're great. They're, they're bigger and you can imagine they're just bigger and better than those terraces. But again, in the hill country, there's not many. And so it's, it's special. Boaz, he's a big deal. He's got some fields. Okay, so that's, that's Bethlehem. Just back to the verse 1 for a second. 
during the time of the judges, which we talked about, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was God is my king, and his wife's name was Pleasant. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Okay, so because of a famine, they moved to Moab. And I, and I want to just, we, we tend to look at just maps, maps, maps. Here's just your standard map, map, map of this situation, right? So you got Bethlehem and you've got, you got Moab. Now, again, they're not so far away. You've just got, like, the Dead Sea in between, the, the, Rift, the Rift Valley here. So how is it that you can have a famine and then really only maybe 11 miles away, you, 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 got, you got Moab, you got, you, got, you got rain. Now, I've said this before, just to keep, keep, to keep the agitation flowing, the Promised Land isn't the best land. I mean, Moab is a better land. It's, it's got more money, more resources. It's on the caravan routes. It's, it's, it's just, it's just a, a, a better land. And, and, and it's got rain while the hill country doesn't. And how does that work? Well, you, you, you come off the sea, the, Medi the Mediterranean, and then it kind of goes up into this alluvial plain where the Philistines live. Very, very fertile. And then you go up into the uh, Shephila, the, 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 um, the foothills. And then you go into the hill country. And then wilderness and Rift Valley, which was below sea level. And then you go up higher elevation to Moab. So we've got these clouds are going over and, and it's not quite dropping anything over the hill country. But then they just hit that higher bit. I asked my son to explain this from geology. And, and I was listening, but it was fasting week this week, you know. And I'm, yeah, you, it worked. It, it, there's rain, okay? There's rain, right? All right, so there's famine in the land, but not in Moab. And that's nice to know, but... It's, it's so close that actually you can see Moab from Bethlehem. Picture. The picture here. Uh, this is the same one before. The, that background area, that dark area, that's Moab. In fact, no doubt Elimelech could stand, is standing on this hill at some point. I mean, he's stood on it at some point in his life, but he's probably standing on this hill. He can stand on the hill and you can look across. You can see Moab. And you're like, oh, wow, the grass is greener on the other side of the rift. I, you, you, you literally, you can see across. And I have stood on the, from the other side of it looking back, and you can see the rain streaks coming down. I'm like, oh, I can see that it's raining over there near Jerusalem. You can see across, and, and it's, it's, they, they can be like, no rain here, rain there. You can see it with, with your eyes. It's, it's not that far. And so Elimelech can be sitting there and just thinking, wow, that's so much better than where I'm at here in, in Bethlehem. And I love the bottom of this picture here. And it's got famine vibes, right? Just this, the coloring of this picture and stuff, famine vibes. But, but also you're seeing like the, the fields and, and just, just kind of getting this. Well, Elimelech is like, Moab looks so much better. Let's move there. And I want to tell you, it's not even close. This is what the fields of Moab where they move looks like. Like, wow. Like, not anything. Like, I mean, it's just so different. 
huge, flat, uh, massive, massive field. It, it, is, it is so drastically, drastically better. I mean, it's, it's not even close. And they're getting the rain, and, 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 and it like he's got his family to take care of, and he's looking at Bethlehem, and he can see across the Moab, and it's, wow. This picture really starts to capture the faith challenge and the faith lesson for us. Because Elimelech looks at his, his current circumstances, famine in the land, wife and two sons to care for him, Bethlehem. Okay, but better is out there. And it really is. Better is out there. And at this moment, Elimelech makes the classic mistake that all people get tripped up by, or mostly all people get tripped up by. And he surveys the economic realities. He surveys what's best for his home and his kids and his family and what they need. And he moves without inquiring to God. He bases his decision based on what seems right to him in his own eyes. And he completely ignores seeking God on this decision. Now, all of us make decisions. We all, we all make big decisions. If you haven't made any big decisions, um, it, you're going to probably get there one of these days soon. We make decisions on life. Should I, should I take this opportunity or should I say no to this opportunity? Should I go this way or this way? Should I live here? Should I live there? Should I move out? Should I stay here? We, just, we make a lot of decisions in our lives. How do you make your decisions? Hopefully not like a limelech. Not just based on what looks right to you. Not just based on how you see things with your own eyes. Because friends... We have it so much better. We have it so much better. We have the all-knowing God who knows what every potential path will look like. We have the God who knows if I go this path, which seems right right now, but where it will twist and turn to. We, he knows this path. He understands every path. He knows every consequence and reality and blessing and goodness and challenge. And God knows every single path. We have the God who knows and still loves and cares and listens and speaks and guides. He loves this kind of stuff to those who will seek him. We have the God who knows that we can ask and we can, we can go to with faith and trust. And he might say, ooh, stay put in the land of the famine. And we might be like, what? But he knows. He knows the path. Friends, honestly, this simple, simple verse from the book of Proverbs has become so central in my life and my thinking these days. It's from Proverbs 3. I learned it as a kid. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What's Elimelech doing? He's leaning on his own understanding. The prophet says, lean not on your own understanding, your own perspective, your own evaluation of your perspective. Don't lean on your own Limited, highly limited perspective. 
instead. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Or in all your ways, lift your eyes up to him. In all your ways, acknowledge his leadership, his mastery, his kingship over the world and life. His all, acknowledge his all-knowingness. Acknowledge that God is God and acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Such powerful words to me these days. Prayer of my life. God, lead me and make my path straight. Elimelech is, is looking at his food situation, the famine situation, his family situation. He's making his own choice based on his own understanding. And the path for him leads to disaster. If only he would have looked to God for guidance. If only he would look to God for guidance. Should I stay or should I go? Yeah, he should, he should stay. A hundred percent. So many, so many life disasters can be avoided simply by not leaning on our own understanding and looking to God, the all-knowing God for direction. So many. Jesus, where do you want me to live? Jesus, what, what, what do you want me to move to? What, what do you want me to do right now? What, what is your path, Jesus, for my next, for my next steps? And I, I sure hope for your own sake... Seeking Jesus, who is called the good shepherd, that leading and guiding and protecting and watching over imagery. That seeking the good shepherd, Jesus, and his path for your life whenever you're faced with potential opportunities. I hope it's a bigger value to you than just deciding life based on your own understanding. And hopefully in your life, the great opportunities and Jesus' path for your life are right in alignment. May it be, right? Sometimes they will be. Many times they will be. Hopefully always. But, but sometimes they won't. And that's where we're like, okay, this is what faith is. This is, fa this is the faith moment. And I choose to trust, trust the all-knowing one who knows the whole paths. Wherever they be. All right. Zooming back, uh, there's a famine. There's a famine in land. Why is there a famine? Deuteronomy tells us. The Bible tells us why there's a, a famine. And, and I'll just, just read this in Deuteronomy 11. It says, If you carefully obey my commands, I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and worship him with all your hearts and all your soul. If, then I will provide rain. For your land in the proper time, the autumn and spring rains, and you will harvest your grain, new wine, fresh oil. I will provide grass in your fields for your livestock. You will eat and be satisfied. Now, clearly that's not happening. So what's going on? Verse 16, be careful that you are not enticed to turn aside, serve and bow and worship to other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut the sky and there will be no rain. The land will not yield its produce. And you will perish quickly from the good land the Lord has given you. Well, I mean, according to what God laid out in his promises, there's some disobedience going on here. That's why there is a famine. And this is supposed to be, this famine is supposed to be a, a, a wake-up call for their generation, for the judge's generation. It's supposed to be a wake-up call uh, to wake up from this mindset, I'm just going to do whatever makes sense to me, whatever seems, whatever works according to my own understanding. 
This famine is a gift. The famine is a gift for a generation to, to stop and look up, to look up to God for a moment. Now, I just want to remind you that we're reading the book of Job this week, and we see that not all hard times are God's discipline. Uh, for example, the um, book of Job. But all hard times are opportunities to check in with God and look up. All, our, all hard times are opportunities to check in with God. Are, God, am I still on your path? Is there, is there any course corrections right now? All opportunities are those, God, God I, I, am I on your path? And either, if I'm not, I need to get back on God's path. Or two, if I am following well, then I need to choose to be calm and pray and live by faith without freaking out. Freaking out is not so much living by faith. That's living by freak. Freaking. Freaking. We're, we're, we're living by faith, which, which doesn't look like freaking. It's, it's, it's more trusting, full of trusting, whatever famines are going on in our life. Now, I, again, I, I, I'm, we're talking about Bethlehem you know, thousands of years ago, but, but it's also such a message for our generation right now, not unlike these stories. Uh, th this, what's been going on in our world for a while is, is pretty... Pretty unnerving, right? Pretty unsettling, whether it's, it's COVID or, or whatever is happening. I don't even can't remember all the prime ministers we've had recently. And, and politics, we've got like the, the, the NHS. I just grieve for all the upheaval going on in the NHS and, and, and so many of your guys' experiences and, and all, all whatever is happening there. Um, war in, in Ukraine and, and just the economic stuff and, and, and the, the energy crisis. And that doesn't even include the normal, every year, just personal life challenges that everybody experiences. It, it's, a, it's an unnerving moment. And, and yet our, our, our nation, our, our world has an opportunity, and I hope you take it, to check in with God. We have an opportunity to, to, to check in, to, to look up. God, am I still on your path? Or have I never been on your path? A and return, return. Does, does Elimelech, no. Elimelech does not take his opportunity and look up and, and see God. Uh, he's, he's, on, he's on the road to Moab. Well, how did that go? Well, verse 3, Naomi's husband Elimelech died. And she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Melon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. Awful. This is, this is an, an I can't even, I can't even imagine there's so many layers that make this, the, the, the awfulness of this moment hard to grasp. I mean, Elimelech, he, he didn't look to God for direction. He took the path that seemed best in his own understanding. But the all-knowing God would have said, I put you there to stay in that situation. Trust me. It's these moments where we, we just got to just go back to the very basics here. Guys, God is real, right? You, you know that, right? God's real. This isn't some philosophy, worldview thing. Like, like God is real. 
And he, he actually guides and knows and cares and leads. Like, this is, this is real stuff. He sees, he's happy to direct your path. He wants us to seek him and to, to direct our paths. The, the consequences of, of Elimelech just not even thinking or caring or, or, or factoring in God into his decision making horrific results. Poor Naomi. Oh, poor Naomi just, yikes, lost her husband, her sons, sad emotionally for sure, but so much more about her outlook for the rest of her life. Who was going to provide for her? Especially back then. Her options are basically nothing. It's an awful mess. And, I, and I, I know that she's in a bad situation. I know that people in our city, in our generation, can find themselves in such an awful, awful uh, nightmare of a mess. Maybe some of you are in one of those extreme nightmare moments of your life, whether it's from grief or fear or dread or abuse or, or just, just stuckness or, or, or darkness. I, I, I don't even have all the words, but if you're in one, you probably have the word where you're feeling without hope. And without God. This is where the book of Ruth starts. This is where so many people in our, even in our church and in our area, they're living at a moment. They're looking at a mess, maybe of their own making even. Maybe not. But they're looking at the mess of their circumstances and thinking, is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for my situation? Because it sure doesn't look like it from here. Friends, I, I will say this forever. There's always hope. There's, there's always hope as you put your faith and hope and love and trust in Jesus. There, there is always hope. Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor used to say, say this. He used to say, Satan the hinderer, Satan the hinderer may build a barrier about us. But he can never roof us in so that we cannot look up. Satan the hinderer may, may build a barrier about us, but he can never roof us in so that we cannot look up. Tough times happen to everyone. The most godly people, the people farthest from God, tough times happen. But you can always look up no matter your circumstances. What's Naomi going to do? Well, verse 6, she and her daughters-in-law... Set out to return. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. So thus far she'd been in a devastating reality. And now those four very powerful words. What a powerful decision she makes. She sets out to return. She sets out to return. How are you going to respond? And, and when, your, when your hard times come, will you look up? Will you look up? Will you, will you check in? And if you find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time, will you set your heart to return? Will you set out to return? That, this is what I love about the, 
the, the book of Ruth, the, the, the whole story here. In this book, we see that no matter how awful this, this person's situation, no matter how awful any situation is, even if it's an awfulness of our own making, there's always hope because we can always look up and we can always, wherever we're at, set out to return. And the path forward for all of us is wherever we're at, setting out to follow, set out to return, to following God with faith, more faith, with hope, more hope, and love. More, more, more love. And the thing about God, he, he, He's so masterful at taking even the worst messes of our lives and making something beautiful out of them. He, he can turn our mourning into laughing. He can turn, he can turn our grieving into into shouts of joy, and, and he makes beauty out of all the ashes. He can make beauty out of all the ashes in, in our lives. The challenge for today is this. I want you to identify one situation in your life that it's hard to trust Jesus with. Maybe it's, maybe it's a guidance situation maybe you're trying to figure out a decision hard to trust Jesus with no doubt it was on your fasting card last week so you you don't have to think too hard about that one take a moment when you are alone with God and out loud in fact I would say not just whispering like out loud commit to trusting Jesus with whatever it is Make that resilient thing. Even if you don't know what the answer is. Maybe you're making a decision. You don't know if it's left or right. Out loud. God, I commit to the direction that you ask me to live. Whatever the answer ends up being. I commit to that. I want to pray for us. But, but first I want to have a prayer time. For you, you where you, you just quietly bef come before God. But why don't you close your eyes with me. And, and in, this, in this quietness... Um, some of you I know are, are making decisions and you've been praying about it this, this week and, you, and you've been seeking God on this. But I'm just going to give you another moment. Maybe you just need to seek God on a decision or maybe one that you, you, you've just been making but you haven't been asking. Maybe just checking in. Am I, am I on your path or am I just leaning on my own understanding? My own in this one. And just commit yourself. Jesus, I commit my life to following you and your path. Make my path straight. Father, I thank you for all the the different, different ways throughout the Bible you talk about how you lead, you speak, you guide. Even images like Jesus, the shepherd, the good shepherd. God, lead us all. Lead us all. It is our heart to follow you and to obey you, to walk in your ways. We love you. We trust you. And we commit our lives to following you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.